Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Hello and welcome to the Football Digest podcast. I'm your host, Colin Probably, and we are joined today by Tom Victor to talk all things transfers. Yes, as always, when you're in the month of July, the only thing to talk about is transfer news. And we're going to start today, Tom, with David De Gea. He's, he's been a player we've talked about a lot on this podcast, but he is now leaving Manchester United you know, after 12 years at the club. What is your initial reaction to that news? Um, yeah, I feel like it was uh, it's probably the right time for it. Um, he was, you know, he's on a contract that didn't reflect where he is now. Um, it, he's on the kind of money that the David Day and his home at the all probably warranted. But um, you know, United moved on. United's kind of stylistically have moved on from how he plays I think and it's a good time for a clean break um, where he goes next a different question but I think um, the way that we saw last season the way Eric Ten Hag wants to set the team up De Gea is probably not the right keeper for that and that's you know that's not to take away from what he's done in those 12 years as well How would you assess De Gea's time at Manchester United overall because he came in right at the end of the Alex Ferguson era had a difficult start to be fair picked up a Premier League medal right at the start of that and then he's won a few trophies from the Europa League FA Cup League Cup how do you assess his time at Manchester United? Um, Yeah it's a tough one I mean as you say um, he won the Premier League under Ferguson I think him and Phil Jones the last surviving members of that both uh, both going this summer Um, and it's hard to judge because I don't think the fact that he came into a winning team and, you know, the team ceased to be that successful after a couple of years, I don't think that's down to De Gea himself. I don't think it's down to anything specifically around the playing staff. I think it's more just, you know, how impossible, as as we see, how impossible it was to replace Ferguson. I think, um, yeah, it depends how you want to judge someone like De Gea. I think on-pitch performances, he probably was at one point the best keeper in the world if not close to it. Um, And it's hard with any Manchester United player because of the setup that he joined. It's hard to kind of look at someone who's not on those trophies and say, can we still call them success? But I think 
on balance, I think you can. I think it's, you know, what, 400 plus Premier League games, you know, for a team that is, yes, they haven't been competing for the title, but they've been top four for a lot of that. Uh, they they have won trophies. And yeah, I, I would, you know, you can't call it a roaring success, but you can say he's warranted that kind of longevity in the league, which is, you know, an argument in itself. What do you make of the way that the contract situation over the last month has played out? Because being offered a, a verbal deal, you know, I think most people would say that a verbal agreement generally should be followed through on. Man United backed out of that agreement and let a player that, as you say, has played so many games for that club, a player that is, you know, given a lot to Manchester United and been a big part of what they've done there over the last decade. Do you think it was disrespectful? the way that he'd left? And do you think that that can affect Manchester United in other ways? Because I imagine De Gea is a popular player there. He's been there for so long. You'll have a lot of respect of that dressing room. To to do that to a player like him and offer him a deal, but then take it back, to me, could have ramifications at Manchester United long-term. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's something we're only really going to see a few months down the line. You know, what kind of impact that's had. I think, obviously, as you say, the optics and stuff like that are, are not good at all. Um, this is a guy who's, you know, been at the club for more than a decade and not really to have a farewell um, in and of itself, just put the contracts off to one side for a second. You know, we, uh, you know, if, if the club knew the FA Cup final is his last game, they could have, you know, they could have coordinated things around that. They could have given a proper send-off, whether then or whether... You know, the final home Premier League game of the season. And yeah, just the way it's happened now. I mean, I, I, I don't know what's going on in, in behind the scenes with these con- uh, contract talks. I think it's it's pretty clear from the outside that, you know, the, the terms he was on never going to be replicated and it's the level, you know, the level to which the verbal agreement was a strong verbal agreement is, you know, it's a little unclear. So I, I would like to see the facts of that come out to find out, you know, maybe De Gea at some point and then Sigurds will will break his silence and it will kind of ex- explain to us kind of where he stood with the club right up until, you know, I guess it's a fairly sudden announcement that it was over. And where next do you think for De Gea? Do you see him playing top level Europe? Do you see him maybe moving to Saudi Arabia? We've seen obviously a lot of players who've being discarded from the top clubs make that move or do you see him trying something new like the MLS I mean where do you see him now for the next you know because he's only in his early 30s he's got a good time ahead of him as a goalkeeper do you do you see him top level European football do you think he's not at that level anymore um, so yeah he is only in his early 30s but this is a guy who you know was, was playing top level football when he was 19 or so Atletico um, and you, yeah, you got to look at like number of games as well as, as the age of a player the kind of era that he came through in as well and I think there are there's probably a few parallels with uh, with when Joe Hart left Man City and you know this is someone who has shown for a number of years he played top level football but the, the kind of job the kind of the change that happens when you leave someone you've been at for so long go from being kind of respected squad member to being just a new guy somewhere else that can affect 
a player that can take them a bit longer to, you know, actually reach the levels that they were even at while sitting on the bench at their old club. Um, I think there are probably clubs, I mean, there are certainly clubs at sort of top level, top European leagues who he could improve, whether he wants to be kind of the staffing keeper for a mid-table team in England, Italy, Spain, that's something he might have to kind of figure out for himself. Does he want to do the kind of Joe Hart at Burnley thing and, you know, drop down or even Joe Hart at West Ham, just kind of drop down a level in order to start or does he feel, you know, this is someone who, what we've seen from Spain, he probably doesn't have a future at international level. Um, we've seen from squads with Luis Enrique and De La Fuente that, um, you know, they're, they're looking at younger keepers. So if he's not, if he doesn't need to sort of play in Europe, be in the spotlight to send in position to play for his country, then I don't think many would be rushing going to Saudi Arabia on a fat contract and spending a year or two there and seeing where that takes him. And what about the replacement, um, Andre Onana from Inter Milan? Ten Hogs worked with him before at Ajax. Um, it seems to be a logical sign in, the, in that regard. Do you think that that's the right decision, though? Do you think he is a keeper that's on the level of of Allison or Edison? So, um, yeah, so Anana kind of came into the Inter team, and I guess not not that dissimilar as that's what they had Andanovic, the long seven keeper, who had elements in the, the hair is in he he was a phenomenal shot stopper but maybe someone who didn't have the kind of quality with ball at feet that Anana has and I think maybe United's will look at that I think yes it's the, the logical transition to kind of have him do that again have that kind of change um I think yeah I think he, he does have the quality um whether he gets the time for that I feel like it's, it's always more more of a spotlight at United than there is at pretty much any Premier League team. So the question is, if he makes one or two early mistakes, does he get time to turn that around? Um, I mean, Ten Hag knows all about Anana. He knows what he did for him at Ajax. He's, <laughs> excuse me, he's, he's had that success with, with Lissandro Martinez as well. And I, yeah, I, I believe he is what United need and like he should have the quality. Um, whether he is looked at on the outside as one of the best of the world, time will tell on that. It will switch paths now. Harry Kane heavily linked with a move away from. Tottenham and Bayern Munich seem to be the, the keenest suitor for him. Uh, £80 million bid reportedly in for him that Tottenham look like they are going to reject. Do you see Harry Kane A, leaving Tottenham this summer, but B, do you think Bayern Munich is the right move for him? Uh, I think it, it comes down to what Kane wants. He's, um, he's spoken about Catching Alan Shearer's record, I think it's 47 more goals in each the, the match in the Premier League. So it's it's a question of um, what means what in. Is it winning a league title or is it reaching that that milestone, that 260 as quick as possible? Um, you know, you, you would expect Bayern to be uh, 
in a better shape to win the Women's League of the season with with their closest rivals losing Jude Bellingham. Um, but it's yes, yeah, is where the Kane feels. You know, if he leaves Spurs, he has to stay in the Premier League, which I think there is a sense that he likes. You know, he likes the Premier League. He obviously loves the Premier League. He loves. He would know, probably love nothing more than to win it with Spurs, but saying that sticking around for another year, making a decision after that might be the move for him. Do you think that his contract state is, I mean, Tottenham seem very reluctant to sell, but Kane himself would probably do better on as a free transfer in terms of a financial package, obviously, because if somebody's going to pay 80 million pounds for him this summer or get him for free next summer, he'll be getting a, a hefty signer on fee, you would think. So do you think the logical play here from all parties is Kane stays at Tottenham another year, then next summer essentially gets to pick where he goes because he's a free transfer and therefore there isn't the financial ramifications of a team trying to buy him. I, th- I think that makes sense for him. I think that um, you know, it makes sense for a buying club. I think you have to look at the situation all this and whether they need the money raised by Seven Kane in order to rebuild the squad. But this is... You know, last season, the logic in saying was they just made Chatham's league other Conte. They signed well, they expect to push on. Whereas now it's, you know, not even European football. New manager might take a little time to kind of get a feel for the how he wants to play his football and for all that's coming to, come to play at Spurs. And does Kane want to be in a squad that is potentially finishing outside the top six again? Um or would you rather, you know, the, the money will help from signing on fee, but, you know, it's not like he's going to be a, a pauper by, by spending some of the money on the fee and then a little less on his on his weekly package. Um, but I think, yeah, he will have these conversations with Buster Kobu and with Adrian Stricker as he works around the club and then he will have a better idea of is it worth that extra year at Spurs? Or does he think maybe he can do them a bit of a favour by earning them the kind of fee that allows them to reinvest and not fall backwards after he goes? Yeah, I mean, talk about the fee. If Tottenham apparently want around £100 million for him, will a team pay £100 million for Harry Kane? Because I know he's he's still in the peak years of his career. I think he's 29, you know, coming up 30. You know, I mean, age is just a number. He's good enough. He's shown this past season. He's had one of his best years in the Premier League for a, a team that's not been having the greatest of years. But do you think that a hundred million pounds is a realistic transfer fee for somebody who you're maybe going to get five good, you know, probably five might even be a bit much, really, but three or four good years from? Yeah, I think um, Bayern may well look at look what happened with Robert Lewandowski, who had probably the best for his career beyond the age of 30. And then in with him, like, you know, you talk about someone moving on that kind of contract to the age of 30 and you assume, you had assumed in the past, oh, there's no resale value there. You're, you're getting a few years out of them and then they're going to retire. Whereas Lewandowski showed, you know, there's 50, 60 million they got from Barcelona at the age of 34, 35. So there's... That might be a consideration for them as well. I still think 100 million for a player with with one year left in his deal is ambitious for Spurs, but Kane Kane is not 
your average base. You know, he's 100 million is what he's worth as first. It's not what he's potentially worth to a buyer. And I can see that coming down. I can see it getting to sort of end of August, deadline looming, Spurs realize uh, we do we do need a bit more work on this club. We need the money to actually rebuild and to still be in that situation a year down the line. And with no Harry Kane, is I feel like that could do more damage than than, than selling him this summer would do. Okay, we're going to switch course now to Kylian Mbappe. Uh, you know, we all know that he's said that he's not going to sign a new deal at PSG, which means that next summer he can leave on a free transfer. PSG have now said that they won't sell. You know, uh, sorry, they want to sell Mbappe. They're not going to let him leave on a free transfer next summer. They need to get something back for him. The problem with that is, is that I think Mbappe has his eyes set on Real Madrid and Real Madrid, of course, spent big for the summer. Don't think they can afford to pay the level of fee that PSG would want for him. So there's been stories over the weekend suggesting if he were to move to the Premier League, it would be Arsenal of all teams. Do you think there's any legs in that story or do you think it's just paper talk? Uh, I, see, I, see, I see absolutely nothing in that. Um, I've seen... Kylian Mbappe being a fan of Arsenal, you know, there's um, the reputation Arsenal Wenger had when Mbappe was coming through at Monaco. Uh, but no, I, I can't see it. I can't see him coming to the Premier League. I think, um, you know, you saw a couple of years ago what happened with him. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, you saw him kind of leaving it later and later and later. And it's the final game of the season in France. And he starts, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say, um, I think we'll bet that again. I think he'll run down. The next year, whether whether or not PSG win the challenge, it's been so evasive. You know, I think he'll make a decision next time. He'll know he can he can get decent money out of PSG or out of Real Madrid next summer, and he will. I, I can't see him doing this summer. What do you make of PSG telling Mbappe that some star players would need to leave if he were to join Real Madrid for free next summer? Do you think that's a True, a power play, or something in between? Um, it's hard to, to look at any kind of conversations around them, around Mbappe's PSG future and not think, you know, this is a situation that can change in a week. Um, I think it's just words. Um, can't see, you know, he is, he is the prize asset. If PSG are kind of pushing towards a situation where Younger players, homegrown players, just like the best of French football, then he is valuable to them in a way that even Lionel Messi wasn't in a way that Maylar isn't. Um, so I think, yeah, there's maybe some pushback on both sides, but I think what is said publicly about him by the club and what is said publicly about the club, about the club by him, I think we've got to take all of that with a pinch of salt and it's. We will we will know when there is the big statement. And I think that will most likely come sort of May June twenty twenty four. You also got to bear in mind this is you know coming up to tournament year. Um, you saw how valuable it was to PSG branding wise to have you know the two stars the World Cup final, and you know that that can still be a consideration. That might be something they. They just wait until after the Euros to to do anything on that front. Do you see 
Mbappe, you know, is there any way that Mbappe is not a PSG player come the start of the season? Because I feel that Mbappe would, in a lot of ways, be silly to accept a move this summer because next year he has all the leverage. He can pick where he wants to go. If he wants to play for Real Madrid, go there on a free transfer, join a young team at Real Madrid, a team that's rebuilding. To me, it would just feel, from Mbappe's perspective, illogical for him to accept a move this summer, particularly if it was to say a Premier League team, if it was Arsenal. I just feel like for him, he has his heart set on Real Madrid and Real Madrid know they can get him on a free transfer next summer, so they're not going to move on this. So it would just seem illogical to me if there's any other thing happens than Mbappe playing for PSG next season, unless, of course, Real Madrid figure out a way to buy him a year early. Yeah, I think, as you say, I think that's the only uh, the only factor here. Premier League is not not something I see in the future, um, at least not in his next move. Um, I think that will be Real Madrid. And I think, you know, you've got to say never, never say never. I think it could happen this summer if they, uh, if they end up raising funds with selling one or two players. I think it wouldn't have happened this summer if Benzema was still around. But they may look at the squads. They may see, you know, maybe we are a bit light there. Maybe uh, maybe there is space for, for him a year early. You know, plan, plans change a lot of the time. And yeah, I can see it. Um, I can see them deciding possibly that they, they want to move early and make the offer. I mean, that's what happened last time, you know, and it's, it was widely thought that they were going to be able to get one of the three following summer and they still put in that, that bid of nine figures, which PSG not that. Um, I think, as you say, most like the outcome is gives PSG another year. Um, but, you know, can't entirely rule out Real Madrid coming through. I think, I think we can say a Premier League move is not happening though. Okay, we'll jump now to a few more quick-fire stories. Uh, Romelu Lukaku is is an interesting one at Chelsea. Um, Seemingly no future at Stamford Bridge. Don't think we expect to see him next year at Chelsea, but apparently he's interesting in Milan and Juventus and Chelsea maybe hoping for a little bit of a bidding war. What do you make of that whole situation with Lukaku? Because, you know, reports last week suggested that Inter Milan were going to buy him and put a mandatory buy, sorry, loan him and put a mandatory buy clause in next summer. It just seems like a bit of a mess that Chelsea almost have no leverage in because Lukaku doesn't want to play for Chelsea and Chelsea don't want Lukaku. It almost feels as though there's, you know, the only answer to this situation is Chelsea losing a lot of money compared to what they paid for him just two years ago uh, yeah I mean I think um, Chelsea losing losing money on the extortionate fee is, is going to happen whatever is going to happen even if there is a bidding war between Juve and Inter I understand where Inter are coming from um, had he been fit through the whole of last season see them having you know, taking up the option made it already, but it's the guy who played only a handful of games, um, missed 
most of the first half of the season, most of the pre-World Cup part of the season. Um, so I understand the hesitance on, you know, is he going to be able to give you the sort of season that he did when he won the title with it? And not not certain that. But also, we're seeing Pochettino saying he expects him back in the training uh, while he remains a Chelsea player. And whether that is, you know, a, a kind of a weak attempt at leverage, a weak attempt at saying, oh, we don't actually have to sell this guy. Um, that's possible, but you know, when when your when your buyers are Serie A clubs who are not sort of recently flush with cash, then I think you're accepting you're going to be making a loss. And the question is whether it's worth that just to get the wages off the books for a player who you don't really need to use with uh, with a Kunkun Jackson coming into bolster the front line. I think Chelsea have enough up front without him. And that that paying a lot, just just kind of letting him go for, you know, take a fifty percent loss on what they paid. I, I think that could still happen. It could still be something that Chelsea decide. Actually, yeah, like I lost his now. I think it's strange that Lukaku is so reluctant to go back to Chelsea when there's a new manager there. You know, when he came back to the club, he talked about he, the fact that he, he wanted to prove people wrong because of how his first stint went. It seems very strange to me that he just seems so, well, he's refusing pretty much in a sense to go back to Chelsea and, you know, with a new manager there, he could reinvigorate his career at Stamford Bridge if he went there and started playing games and showed why the boredom, because I mean, remember when he went there, he was the, you know, the final piece. That's what everyone thought, you know, he was going to make them title contenders because he was going to add what they didn't have. It, it just seems odd to me that with a new manager going in, that this divorce between Lukaku and Chelsea is still so strong. Uh, yeah, I think um, what you touched on there with with the missing piece conversation, I think um, maybe point to why Lukaku might be reluctant to go back. Just the, the way he's been viewed from the outside as a player that he isn't really. Like, him being... Pinpointed as a, a guy who can play as a holdout guy, can be can be a nine in this kind of team. That's that's never been what he's been best at. And I feel like there was honesty when he said he wanted to come back and prove people wrong. Then he realised how he was being used by Tuchel and how, like the, the you know what the the view of him from around England was at the time, and thought actually like I. I I don't like this setup. I don't want to kind of play within this. And then and there was obviously the interview in of the autumn after he came back talking about maybe making a mistake. I think, you know, for all, for all of him saying when he came back, I wanted to prove people wrong. I think he was probably honest in that and also honest in realizing, no, it wasn't right. He, he was better off staying with Inter. And who knows what kind of conversations he's had with what he know about about what he can do in that team, about how he would be used. Um, I feel like maybe that is filtering into it. But, um, yeah, could just be he likes life in Italy more than he likes life in London. And it could be as simple as that. Wilfred Zaha, you know, free transfer, leaving Crystal Palace. I don't know necessarily if the door was closed on him staying at Crystal Palace, but he's been linked to a move to Steven Gerrard's new club, El Atifak. Do you see that happening? I mean, Zaha 
you know, he's getting to that age now. You know, I think he was 29, 30. He's got a chance to get himself a big contract. That's probably what's in his head. And Saudi Arabia might be the place that gives him the biggest possible contract. If that's what he's, you know, wanting more so than um, a sporting reason, so to say. Do you think that he'll stay in Europe or do you think that it, it could happen that he'll move to Saudi Arabia? Uh, yeah, I think with him, it's, uh, it's all down to what kind of offers on the table for him. Um, the link with um, Etifak is a little bit of a strange one for me. Um, if it was, you know, one of the teams that's going to be battling out for the title, I would understand that he's, he's been kind of star performing, probably, probably capable of playing for a top four team and just never had that chance, never had, never had the opportunity to challenge for titles to even play European football. And I think were he to move to Saudi Arabia to join a team that is a a run or two below best in the competition, um, I think that might just be kind of a a recognition that the offers he was getting a year or two ago are not coming in anymore, which does surprise me a little bit. I feel like he's shown the last couple of years at Palace that he's not slowing down. The 21-22 season was his best for goals as well. Um, and, you know, you see, you see mention of clubs like, um, like Marseille who, you know, have Champions League on the table. I feel like some of that would still be a better fit. I, I understand him wanting to leave Palace now and just to try something else. But um, also, like, I'm a little surprised some of the, some of the higher up, Saudi team, so I'm looking at him as as someone that you know still he should, he should thrive in that level of competition, and you're seeing all the players who maybe only have a couple of years to get kind of big being brought in. And someone like Zaha, if if he's willing to make a move to, to Saudi Arabia and sort of play at that level, play sort of twenty thirty games a season, and he's still got the quality, and he, he could easily bar a team to the title at that level as well. I think it's surprised that Zaha isn't moving to a team in the Premier League because you look at you know Newcastle for example, they've talked all the time about the financial fair play and how they can't just go out and spend crazy amounts of money, and you know you've got Wilfred Zaha there, free transfer, a player who's got really good quality. You know he can play in the Premier League and he's a very very good player. You get a chance to bring in a free transfer. Yes, it'll probably be a big wage, but you're not paying the transfer fee for a player that was probably a £60 million player you know, a year ago, if you were to buy him. I think it's strange that there isn't teams in the Premier League who are up against the FFP wall and you know, are even in the Champions League you know, or, or in the Europa League. If you look at, say, Liverpool, who need to add to their team. I think it's surprising that he's not attracted a move because of the fact he's a free transfer and people know he'd be trustworthy to play, you know, regular Premier League minutes. Yeah, I think um, beyond small number of teams, we've probably moved past the point of Premier League clubs kind of overstocking themselves with players in his position. I think it's a positional thing. Look at Liverpool need to strengthen, but other areas of priority. Look at Newcastle and you've got Anthony Gordon's just come in in that position. So Maximus is around. He's at can play wide left as well. It's needed. Um, I think it's that the teams who need to do, to do that to their squads have 
you know, more urgency to strengthen in, in other parts of the pitch. I think it's an issue of timing. Had this, had this come a couple of years ago, I'm sure Zaha would have got the move to, uh, to a team kind of probably top six, if not higher in the league. I don't think it's quality is a matter of question. And it's just a case of the sort of teams that could benefit from that kind of player just need to do other things first before they could even consider a Wilfred Zaha type coming in. Do you think Zaha is also a victim of the fact that he is the man at Crystal Palace and you watch Crystal Palace and everything sort of goes through him and sometimes it's difficult for players to move from being the focal point of attacks to then being a supplementary player. I mean, you saw that a little bit with Jack Grealish when he first went to Man City and he's talked about it as well. It took him a long time to adjust to the fact that not everything went through him and he was expected to do more defensive things that he wasn't expected at Villa. Do you think teams are wary of bringing Zaha in because if he goes to the, say, we talked about Newcastle, say Newcastle were interested in him, they know that they couldn't build the team around Zaha in the way that he flourished at Crystal Palace. Um, yeah, I think they, they could well be an element of that. I think, um, you know, still for for every kind of concern about that, we've seen pretty much the second season that if you're willing to give it a bit of time, it, it can work absolutely fine. She saw it to a lesser extent with um, with Christian Eriksen at Man United, having been basically the focal point for all the everything that went through Brentford's attacks was seemed, he seemed to be at the heart of it. He knew when he moved to Man United that that was not going to be the case. He'd have a different role to play, and most of the guy, I guess, a similar sort of age to Zaha, who um, you know, who kind of is at a similar stage of his career, perhaps in terms of how many more years he's got at that top level. So I think. Um, I think that if a team is willing to, to give that level of trust, then, you know, someone like Zaha should still be able to, I mean, even if he's not starting every week as he has been at Alice, even if he's, you know, one of two or three in that position, the quality is there. He's, he's shown from coming back from injury and kind of being straight up on it at times that the lack of kind of being everywhere, everything kind of to a team at the same time is not necessarily going to take away from him especially I mean especially like on a free transfer it's something that you can you, you can take that risk if if it's an area where you need to strengthen okay thanks Tom for joining me today we are all out of time please everyone remember to subscribe and like it and do whatever you need to do on the platforms where you listen to this and enjoy the rest of your day